This is the last day, Lord's. This is this is the last Lord's day that we will spend in misery. Not forever. <laughs> I, I wish I could confess that. I wish I was here to tell you this is the last Lord's day ever in misery. No, it's a sad age. It's a sad world. Misery will continue, but at least not in Heidelberg after this Lord's Day. It is the last Lord's Day, questions 9 through 11, on the section of Heidelberg Catechism, part 1, misery. And on this day, Lord's Day 4, we find a day of willful disobedience and justice. The willful disobedience belongs to Adam and Eve, and as their children, they are first parents, that willful disobedience belongs to us. It could literally be, it, it literally is the theme of your life. Here lies one who is willfully disobedient. Perhaps at your funeral I will pray, here lies our brother he lived a life of willful disobedience. <laughs> but he's now with the Lord. Amen. Now let's get the potluck going. <laughs> Ours is a life of willful disobedience. And justice belongs to God's supreme majesty. And he is therefore terribly angry with the sin we are born with as well as our actual sins. God hates our willful disobedience. Now, you might want to think, well, isn't God love? Yes, God is love, and God loves righteousness. Therefore, he hates disobedience. You know, love goes both ways. God loves goodness. Therefore, God hates disobedience. It's kind of like Tom Brady. If you love Tom Brady, then you must love Super Bowls because he goes to all of them, it seems. If you know who Tom Brady is, he's going to his ninth Super Bowl. I just found out. Gosh, that guy goes to many Super Bowls. Anyway, but love goes both ways. If you love goodness, you will hate evil. So God is love, yes, but that means also God is hate. God hates. Now, hatred isn't original to God. Hatred's not original to God. And that because before sin, his justice wasn't activated. That is, there wasn't anything for God to hate. God created the world good right in the beginning. God made it all good. There was nothing for him to hate, nothing for him to despise. There was no evil. There was no sin in the world. He created man good and after his own image, after his own image that he might heartily love God and mightily serve the Lord. Now, the, the confession refers to the law of God. God made man with the ability to keep the law, requiring his law what, what man was unable to do. Now, that law to which Heidelberg references is Romans 2. And the natural law, the natural law that's written on the heart of every man, every creature, every, excuse me, every man made since Adam knows the law of God, written on the heart. We know there's right and wrong. We know there's absolutes. We know there's an absolute giver. We know there's even God. 
And when we sin, we violate our own nature. We violate our conscience. Conscience comes from two Latin words, con and science. Science means knowledge. Cons mean, con means with. With knowledge or science. With knowledge. Every time we sin, we sin with knowledge. And we know we are sinners. Law is natural. And that law bound Adam to the covenant of works. I wish Adam had to earn. Adam had to move and serve the Lord. God created Adam, requiring Adam to obey. Requiring Adam to obey and to earn. Heaven must be earned. Basically, in the garden, God said, show me what you got. God made him righteous. God made him holy. And then God stands back after the six days in rest on the Sabbath day and says, show me what you got. Show me what you're made of. He was made to be good. He was naturally born to love and serve the Lord. God says, show me what you got, and I'll show you what I got. I got eternal blessedness. I got glory forever. Confirm that righteousness. Confirm your holiness, and come and enter the eternal Sabbath. But Adam did what was unnatural. He went against his own very nature. He went against who he was in God's image. You see, sin is not original to Adam. Sin is not original to the human race. So Adam acted unnaturally to disobey. And as he did so, he earned for his work his wages. And the wages of sin is death. And that death is eternal. And that death is hell. And it is certain. It is true because God is good and God is just and he doesn't change his mind. So the law announces, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Cursed. Curse is the result of sin. Follows God's justice and his hatred for evil. Creation was good, and Adam and Eve were good, and God is love. So where does hate come from? It comes from Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. As Heidelberg says, it's through the instigation of the devil. He tempted Adam and Eve, and he tempted them what? To be, you can be like God. All you got to do is disobey God. I mean, that's literally what the devil is saying. Disobey God and you can be God. Ignore God, you can be God. Do what you want and you are God. And the result of that willful disobedience is eternal damnation. Wrath was not native to God. It followed sin because God is good. You have to get a holy God. If you don't get the holiness of God, you don't get hell. And then why do you need a deliverer? Because he's eternally good. 
He is holy. Therefore, his wrath is everlasting. And this means everlasting wrath means wrath begins now on earth. It's hell on earth. Wars and rumors of wars and plagues, destruction, death. And it continues forever. Now mankind is still as crafty as the serpent in the garden. So of course the crafty theologian asks, but isn't God merciful? In Heidelberg Catechism anticipates you lowering, lowering up this way. But isn't God also merciful? Yes, and the Heidelberg agrees. Yes, God is merciful, but he's likewise just. He's indeed merciful, but he's likewise just. You see, you can't separate and divide God's nature. He is just and merciful at the same time. The simplicity of God. He has all of his attributes all at once, all the time. His mercy doesn't trump his wrath. His love doesn't trump his anger, his hatred for evil. No, they go together. God can be merciful and just at the same time, but isn't God love? I can hear the lawyer. No, Your Honor, but God is love, right? Yes, and he loves justice. He loves righteousness. He loves holiness. He loves goodness. He loves beauty. Therefore, he opposes everything ugly, dark, sinful, evil. And to deny justice for absolute mercy is to lower God to an unholy standard. And God doesn't play politics. He is holy. To deny wrath and hell is to make God imperfect. To deny his justice is to make God like man. To be like us. We are faithless. And you can hear the serpent in the background whispering, Yes, and while you're at it, get rid of that hell. Get rid of hell. We don't like hell. We have a problem with hell. But the Bible doesn't have a problem with it. Now, just because we are faithless does not mean God has to be. He cannot lower his standards. He is God, so he requires that his law be satisfied. And according to Heidelberg, the covenant of works is still in effect. God is still requiring in his law, and thus he is still punishing in his justice. If only there was someone to keep the covenant of works, right? If only there was someone who could satisfy the demands of God, satisfy his wrath in our place. That's next week. That's Heidelberg 2, part 2, part 2. The deliverance of God. We're not there yet. We're still here in our sin and our misery, so let's wallow in it some more. Hell is our problem, but it's not a problem for the Bible. The Bible is clear where it mentions hell without hesitation. The Bible calls God's justice hell, torments, unquenchable fire, a worm that never dies, and everlasting death. The character of hell is the character of eternal death, always to die but never to be dead. Jesus says, Matthew 25, 41, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is not a problem with Jesus. 
And hell is our choice. God didn't even make hell for us. He made it for his fallen angels. But then we, in willful disobedience, choose to follow them to hell. We choose hell as our lot. And wrath is God's jealousy for his love. God is love, thus he is jealous for his divine majesty, which he loves with unbreakable vengeance. So think not in terms of our jealousy, which is envious. We are envious, but not God. His jealousy guards his holiness. It guards his own precious name. He is likewise jealous to protect not only his name, but the innocent, as he is a guard and shield to the innocent. Now, when we, we think we will be more loving, and our, our world thinks it's more loving to get rid of hell. Oh, we don't like that. That's not nice. Let's get rid of hell. That's more loving to get rid of wrath. But is it really? Is it really more loving? Is it really loving to not have justice? Think about the victims. Should the victims of sin and the victims of evil not have justice? Is that good? Think about church discipline. Why do we exercise church discipline, which can see its full effect in excommunication? Why excommunicate? For repentance. But also to protect the victims of sin. Protect God's good name, the peace and purity of the church. And excommunication, when we excommunicate someone, and if that person leaves our church and goes attend, attends another church, it's the duty of the minister or the, or the elders to call the church which that person is attending and to let them know that the person has been excommunicated and ask them to honor our church discipline. I've never had to do that. But I've talked to brothers who have. I've talked to friends who, ministers who've, who've had to call other churches and, and say, hey, look, there's a guy there, so-and-so, and he's been uh, excommunicated for our church, and we hope that you honor that. And then the minister replies, oh, we don't do that here, brother. We're a loving church. But what about the mother? What about the three children he is emotionally abusing and defaming? Should he not seek forgiveness? Should he not seek repentance? Should he not make the right wrong? Does she not deserve to be vindicated? Does she not deserve to be protected by the church? Doesn't she need more than just mere words? Well, I hope everything works out for you, sweetie. No, she deserves justice. Victims deserve justice. God deserves justice. He's holy and he's majestic in his righteousness. He hates sin. It's evil. And you know that hatred, right? You know that, that righteous indignation that you have for evil and sin. And God has it to the 10th degree. I think that's math. I don't know. I'm not bad at math. It's eternal anger and hatred. It's not good or loving to just willy-nilly get rid of hell. To willy-nilly brush under the rug the pain, the evil, the torture, the abuse.
Now, as wrath is not original to God, neither is mercy. Before the fall, there was no one for God to be merciful to. There's no sin. There's no need in the garden for God to be merciful until chapter 3. So in Christ, there is no longer justice. On the contrary, the cross satisfied it. And God's wrath was satisfied by Christ who suffered body and soul and died on the cross for our place, in our place. And so our death is no longer dying to sin. There's no more condemnation. Our death is not condemnation. Our death is not hell. But our death is merely dying to the sinful world, dying to our sin, rather, that we might go and be with our God in eternal right in eternal life. So as I say, there's no condemnation, there's no punishment, there's no misery in that sense for the Christian, but we still suffer, and we still suffer misery. It is a sad world. It is a sad life, after all. But now our suffering as Christians is not hell. Our suffering is not condemnation. Our suffering is not justice. Our suffering is grace. And this is the truth you have to hold on to with every fiber of your being because troubles and trials come. And you must know those troubles and trials are not God hating you in Christ. They're not God condemning you. They're God loving you. Our sufferings are graces. It's a grace. Now how is suffering grace? Our suffering is grace to be perfected by endurance, to be strengthened in hope, And suffering allows us to know God's strength, to know his grace, to know him more in his sufferings, in our sufferings rather. There is nothing that draws a Christian closer to God than suffering. And I have just found that to be the truth of my own life. Nothing really draws me closer to God than trouble. Because that's just the sinful nature, right? When things are good, we're good. It's all good. And we may still turn to God, and we still have our mornings and our evenings with the Lord and so forth, but we got the rest of the day, and things just go. But when they're suffering, we cling to him even more, don't we? We need him even more. So there's the grace in suffering. It draws us to Christ. It draws us to our God and our need and our necessity. That's always there, that necessity. But the suffering opens our eyes to the necessity. We cling to God. There's such grace in suffering. Suffering is a grace. Even chastisements, which God afflicts upon the righteous for their sins, are inflicted according to his mercy. And they're not properly punishments. Your chastisements aren't properly punishments. They're fatherly chastisements. That's why we call them chastisements. We don't call them punishments. We have a different name for it. Because they're properly belong to grace, not justice. And it's God's fatherly fatherly way of drawing us to repentance, 
into that holiness for which he wants us to live. Because there's blessings in holiness. There's blessings in repentance. So yes, take up your cross and know that it is suffering. But only to be blessed more and more by our Heavenly Father. In Christ, we receive nothing but grace and mercy, the goodness of our Father in heaven. So find your only comfort in life and in death, body and soul, in your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.